Usually, after three months of silent retreat, the monastics from Sarvasti Abbey opened their doors to visitors. But not this year. Instead, from their monastery in Newport, Washington, the nuns and monks are finding new ways to serve their community. Welcome to Faves Forward, a podcast about how faith communities are staying connected during this coronavirus pandemic. I'm Tracy Simmons. My name is Tipton Chinney. I'm a Buddhist nun at Shravasti Abbey, and I've been here for uh, 13 years, so a good long time. So I've been a part of um, the program development over all these years. When all of the news about COVID-19 was starting to break, I know I was kind of glued to social media and watching the evening news, but that's not really what life is like there at the Abbey. So I know you have access to the internet and stuff because you're the doing communication, but what was, what was it like there how, as you guys were figuring this out and learning about it? Well, it was interesting because we were on winter retreat. And for three months every winter, we um, go into meditation sessions where we're meditating eight hours a day. Um, we are not accessing media. We are um, really doing internal process work. But it so happened that this winter, because we, are, we have in the offing, um, we're building a, a Buddha hall, a temple. And I'm involved with the communication of it. So this winter was more for me going to be a working retreat anyway. So I was online, as it turns out. And uh, especially after January, we were all in retreat for the month of January. And then in February, I and a few other people were were doing offering service in the midst of our sessions. And so we began to be paying attention to what was going on. Um, And furthermore, I had Venerable Children had taught in Singapore. Venerable Dancho and I were just there in December. So we were in contact with the Singaporeans post Uh, visit. So that was also a part of our network as we were hearing from the Singaporeans what was going on there. I don't remember exactly when they were reporting on the virus entering Singapore, but it was way sooner than we were. So so there was some communication, but the Singaporeans are great. They're like the world model or one of the world models for how things should be done because they had the experience of SARS. So they're all set up and, and their government's quite different. And the country is small. But as I was watching, then I'm starting to see that, oh, we're coming out of retreat. We have this whole lineup of events that starts like the day we're out. And I'm supposed to be sending out the communications. Hey, everybody, we're coming out of retreat. Come back. We're so happy to see you. And we usually have a big, wonderful event where we have our, our first sharing the Dharma Day of the year, which is our monthly you know, open house that we invite everybody to. And it's also the end of retreat celebration. So we do rituals and, you know, we offer out the guests, I mean, the uh, volunteers who have been supporting us all winter. We do a big thing for them. So usually at our meditation hall, it's packed. You know, we'll have 45, 50 people, maybe sometime one year we had 60, 70, 80, sometimes it depends, packed into that meditation hall. And it's time to send out the invitation four weeks out. And I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know that we should do this. Yeah. So then, you know, people started to hear more as I'm starting to share and Venerable Children is starting to talk about it because she's, she's doing writing retreats every winter. So she's online too. And it was just this sort of slow dawning, like, well, I don't think we send the invitation this week. I don't think we send the invitation the next week. And then finally, we just had to say, okay, we're not doing that one. 
But then right after that is another retreat. Are we doing that one? I don't know. Let's wait. So it's been this, at least in early March, it was this one half week at a time. Are we going to do, are we going to open the doors for this or not? Are we going to open the doors for this or not? Are we going to open the doors for this or not? And then it, it just kind of blossomed. I guess it did for everybody that, no, we're not opening the doors. And we have people here who are at risk. And we had an ideal situation because we'd been in retreat. Nobody had been here for months. Right. People do bring us supplies regularly, uh, but we hardly see them during the winter retreat. Once we're open, of course, they come. So I think just like it was for everybody else, it was this gradual dawning. And then how are we going to share what we do with the people that are waiting for us to come out of retreat? Yeah, that's the so, challenge. Yeah. So the, the, the last few weeks of retreat, last two or three really, became this, especially among the communications teams, the video team, the events teams, working out what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? So that was a large part of the end of our retreat. And here we are doing a lot online. Yeah. Before we jump into what you're doing online, for those who may not be familiar with Servasti Abbey, can you kind of paint a picture? You guys are on this beautiful property, and I'm not sure how many monastics there are now. I think you guys seem to be growing. There are 18 residents at this time, and one trainee is here as well, 18 monastics. And then we have two guest monastics who are kind of stuck because they can't get one of is a monk who trained here for a number of years before he went to India, and he can't get back. And then another is a Singaporean nun who lived here and trained for a number of years who wanted to go back to India and she can't get back. So they're, um, I guess, if they're fortunate to be stuck where they're stuck and not in India, actually. So right now we're about 20. But yeah, there's 18 residents now and growing. We're a Buddhist monastic community. We are actually an international community. It's not, it's the, it's the first training monastery for Westerners in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition in the in this country, um, but our residents come from all over. Many of us are Americans. We have a few Canadians. We have um, a German. We have an Australian. We have a couple of Singaporeans, um, and then a couple of our American citizen monastics are from other. Were born and raised in other countries, so from Colombia and Vietnam. So we're an international organization in that way. Okay. Yeah. And we, so we practice as monastics. We live here full time. And our work, well, our work is to cultivate our own minds. That's the, the commitment of a, a Buddhist monastic. And our um, sharing of the Buddhist teachings with people who want to be Buddhist or people who just are looking for something to help them is really how we extend our mission into the world. So being, offering programs, being with other people is a big part of what we do. Yeah, I was going to ask because in the last episode, we talked to a pastor and it's, it's kind of different to talk to her about her community because it's the same group of people she sees in the same building every Sunday. Right. You, you aren't like that. You have a very different community that you serve. How would you describe that community? It's hard to break it down, Tracy. It's, there's multiple communities actually because in some ways, we serve people, I mean, for sure, we serve people all over the world. And we've had a very robust online presence for a lot of years. So people have connected us with us in that way. And we have guests from all over the world who come spend time with us because we, we welcome people to come live 
the life of a, of a monastic. They can come experience that for a day or a year or years if they want. So that's an opportunity that we give people and they come from all over. At the same time, we have a local community um, that's centered pretty much in Spokane, another small organization that we're centered with in Coeur d'Alene, and then people even in, up here, in, we're in Newport, so up here in um, Ponderé County, we have friends that come. So, so the sharing the Dharma days, those kinds of monthly events, they bring locals, it's a one-day event. Locals, people come up from as far as Moscow, Idaho. I mean, it's a you know, it, it draws people, but they're still within the region. And then we have guests from all over the world. And then online, we have really all over the world. I think when we did our Sharing the Dharma Day online, somebody told me there were 15 countries or something like that represented. It's pretty impressive. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. So you kind of spoke to this already, but you obviously have a very close-knit community there um, yeah. on your property and at your center. But I'm, I'm sure you feel connected to those who come up and come visit. And so what's it like for you guys to not be able to connect with those people right now in a physical way? Yeah, well, we miss them. I mean, yes, we have a close community and that's nice. And our retreat is, is wonderful. But it's also a, a release for us to come back out and see our Dharma friends and meet new people and have people come and share the Abbey with them. Um, some of us, of course, are introverts and are quite happy to just stay where they are. And some of us are not. And as, as one of our nuns said, um, she said, you know, yeah, I like you guys, but I'm ready for some new people. <laughs> so it's, you know, people who have been living with their small families already for a month, they're feeling that in some ways, that's a part of monastic life training. You live with the same people, eat with the same people, work with the same people, practice with the same people, chant with the same people, argue with the same people, work with your mind with the same people. It's nice to have a some variety. <laughs> sure. So our practice, of course, is to work with our minds in that confine to really develop our love and compassion, no matter what's coming up for people, um, to develop a stability of mind. So maybe people who are um, staying at home can have a sense of monastic training. Yeah, definitely. There's an opportunity, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, how are you getting your supplies now? I understand people, volunteers are are dropping them off at the bottom of the street and then you're walking to get them. Is that correct? Uh, somewhat correct. We have a little um, house down the hill that the Abbey owns. So some of the big groceries have been left there. And then the, we've even have only the younger, in this case, it's nuns make the, tr the transition, go pick up the food. But also um, we've had people drive up to the back door and drop stuff off because the loads are just too big because we're not getting them very often. We usually get a, um, supplies once a week, and uh, now we're getting them every two weeks. So feeding 18, 20 people with a supply run of every two weeks is it's a bigger grocery shop. Yeah, it's a load to carry for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a load to carry. And we have one, one nun who is designated as the outside runner. So she goes to the bank and the post office every two weeks or picks up other errands. Um, otherwise, we're just here. Yeah. And we have, you know, we've, we're so fortunate. We have forests to walk in. We have gardens to get started. We have plenty to do. It's, it's really a very different situation from what most people are experiencing. And I, and I think there's some grief on our side about that, too. People are online much more than we normally would be wanting to stay connected and see what's happening and feel what's happening because we're quite separate at this point. I think we're all in a fortunate place to, to, to be living here where we have this beautiful 
landscape to kind of um, go take refuge in. But you guys are online a lot more than normal, trying to connect with your audiences. So the BBC Corner um, is something you guys have been doing forever. I, uh, not forever, but for a long time. Yeah. And that is a daily uh, teaching, right? Yeah. Short teaching. Short teaching. And then what else are you guys doing right now? Um, well, in addition to the, to the Bodhisattva Breakfast Corner talks, which we do every day, we've had regular weekly teachings that are done through live stream. Um, sometimes venerable, mostly taught by venerable children, our abbess and founder and the author of many, many books. So those are continuing, but because we had live stream already set up and because our YouTube was well, channel was well packed, we were already in a pos position to take advantage of that. But like Venerable Children today, she was supposed to be in Europe as of right now, teaching in the Netherlands, Germany, Russia. So instead of going, which she's not, um, she wanted to offer some teaching for them. So today, for three days this week, three days next week, three days the next week, she's going to be offering teachings in the morning on a text that is timed that it's evening in Central Europe and Russia. So it's specifically for those folks, but people are home. So anybody can, can log on and see those teachings. It's on a, a really very concise and pointed text. So I should say from Buddhism is really based on the teachings of the Buddha, right? So our outreach and our practice is fed by listening to teachings on the Buddhist worldview, various texts that have been written over the last 2,000 years about how to practice, how to work with our mind, how to think uh, in a way that reduces suffering. So this concept of teaching, 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 teaching is really critical to Buddhist practice. And so lay people go to teachings. Lay people listen to teachings. More so even than meditating. We talk about um, how Buddhist, Buddhism, wis, Buddhist wisdom is developed through hearing, thinking or reflecting, and meditating. And the hearing part is the learning. So it's attending teachings. So that's what we do. We give teachings. We give opportunities for people to learn to meditate. So packaging more teachings to put them online is what we've been doing. So we have that teaching that's happening. Our Sharing the Dharma Day, which has totally been a um, y'all come event, I thought had to be in person. But we've seen, we've done two online now, where the day generally, we start with a guided meditation. Well, actually we start with tea and visiting with everybody. And then we start, the program begins with a guided meditation, then a, a talk or a teaching. Then we have a great potluck lunch. And then um, in the afternoon, we have a, a facilitated discussion based on the morning's teaching. So we were thinking, like, how do we repackage that? And in, in a way, you, you can't. You know, I've joked every time I've been the MC for the first two, and it's like, well, we're going to go potluck, and you try too. <laughs> but we can still do the meditation online. It just should be shorter. We can't make it as long. The teaching is still the same. And then through Zoom, the miracle of Zoom and the wizardry of um, some of our tech nuns, um, we've been able to actually do the afternoon discussion. So whereas we would have anywhere from 20 to maybe 50 guests for a Sharing the Dharma Day, on our first Sharing the Dharma Day online, we had 800 people. Oh my gosh, 800? Eight, over 800 people. That's amazing. It is amazing. The last one we did had like 400. 
we're, we've been talking about, oh my goodness, what are we going to do when we're open again? The response to this has been so big and people are saying, oh, will you keep doing it like this? And we're like, I don't think so, but I don't know. I don't know what we'll have to do to, to adapt. Because another thing about the hearing or the teachings is that hearing them live is really, really essential. Yeah. You can learn a lot from watching the videos, but, but it is also a body hearing, being with experience that's so important. Right. The so Sangha, we'll right? Yeah. yeah. So the other thing that we'll be doing this weekend is we have a retreat that's going to be led by a venerable Sangha Kadro, who's another longtime nun. We're really happy that she's spending so much time here. She's a wonderful teacher. And she's teaching on peaceful living, peaceful dying. So again, the retreat experience is to be present. We have teachings, guided meditations, you have rest time, you have walk time, you have this and discussion time as well. So how do we repackage that for the online audience? Well, we have... She'll be teaching again through live stream. We'll bleed the meditations through live stream. And then we've asked people if they want to be a part of the discussion groups, they have to register for the whole retreat. So it's just like being here, but we'll do them on Zoom instead of live. So we'll see how it goes. But yes, the, the attendance has just gone. I don't know. I think we have 68 people or something registered. Okay. So those people will be in the discussion, but the talks themselves are open to anybody who stumbles onto the live stream. You know, and the the topic of that particular retreat is so timely because I've been thinking about this a lot about all of these people who are having to die alone right now. Yeah. And I and I know in Buddhism it teaches to kind of help that person die uh, with a peaceful mind. Is that something that's going to be addressed do you think? I don't know. She might well do that. You know, in in large part of course, the retreat is for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we spend a lot of time talking about death and impermanence in Buddhism, not as a freak out, but to, to prepare. Because in the Buddhist um, worldview of um, taking multiple lives, how you die makes a difference about how you're going to get reborn. And that, that's the view that's held. So you want to have a peaceful, happy mind. Um, you want to have let go as much as you possibly can. So we do as teach people to help the pe their friends or their loved ones by helping them remember the virtuous things they've done and really rejoice in that. And if you don't have somebody whispering that in your ear, it's hard. It's hard. So we're doing prayers for people, of course, kind of every day. We're starting to get people's prayer requests for relatives who are sick or dying. Uh, they've just started to come in with that particular thing. My, my brother has COVID. He's on a ventilator. We make oh. prayers for him. Okay. You know, yeah. that kind of yeah. stuff. And we have a lot of confidence in the power of prayer, if you will, in the Buddhist context. And in, in that we have a lot of confidence in the power of mind and influencing the conditions around a situation. But, um, but I mean, it's a really valid question. If I haven't trained to die alone. How will my mind be? And as I'm starting to hear the stories of the experience of having this illness, it sounds really horrible. Right. Really hard. Yeah. And I wonder how many people who are ill right now are tuning into you guys because they're probably able to do so from home. Yeah, I hope so. I really hope so. 
mostly we're hearing from Buddhists around the world who are like so grateful to have a touchstone, like every day, oh yes, I remember, every, okay, I remember, I don't have to be freaked out. I can breathe deeply, look at the situation, assess what's right in front of me, not fantasize about what will happen next week, but just be present with what's here right now. And that calms the mind tremendously. It really helps to, to, to get away from our habit of flipping out and listing all the horrible things that could happen if this doesn't happen and this doesn't happen and this doesn't happen. And, and that, just, that just adds so much more weight to our suffering. Whereas if we can at least meet each definite challenge, no denying, but if we can meet them with a calm mind and, a, um, you know, and an open heart so that we're also receptive to the help that's available, it makes a huge difference in how we experience something. So that's our real wish in putting out all this everyday Bodhisattva breakfast corner talks. You know, I'm ready for somebody to talk about a different topic, actually. <laughs> of course, I think everyone's kind of burnt out, you know, on this negative news, but it, it is what's on everyone's mind right now. Yeah. And it's what everybody's living with. And in varying conditions. I think that's what's been cool about being able to have the discussion groups. Um, I led a discussion last week with a woman from Mexico City, who fortunately for her, she her in-laws have a place outside of the city. And that's where she and her husband and kids are. But they live in a 16-story apartment building in Mexico City. And nobody's allowed outside of their apartment. So just, um, you know, hearing somebody's experience of how her neighbors are dealing with it, you know, or, or a woman from Switzerland who apparently in Switzerland, the government's not responding so well. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. But anyway, she had lost a friend and was really grieving. So to have those discussions is, online is really helpful. It is. Um, I'm actually watching the BBC uh, Breakfast Corners every, every day and sharing them with my friends. And I've noticed that you guys have actually changed up the way you do it sometimes. The other day you guys sang to your uh, viewers. She carries me. She carries me to the other side. She carries me. She carries me, she carries me to the other side. And that's unusual though, right? You don't normally Yeah, we don't sing. normally sing, actually. Right. Yeah, in Buddhism or monastics, you don't Monastics sing. don't. Probably. Did, did we do the uh, she carries me? Is that she carries the, me. That's what yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. So um, for a couple of reasons. One is that song um, has, a, it has a specific kind of place in terms of describing the value of compassion. It's, it's sung to, or it's describing a, the, the singer's relationship to the Buddha of compassion. But anyway, the concept of compassion works just as well. So um, as we did it because it was we thought it would be soothing. We thought it would be a help for people. We have, you know, sometimes songs that are, that are Dharma related, we can bring into our practice. We don't, you know, do it every week, but, you know, we're part of the world too. And uh, it just seemed like a meaningful thing to share. Yeah. And it was especially emotional to watch you guys get emotional. Yeah. I think there's real connection with the viewers there. What do you think the lesson right now might be in non-attachment? Because we're having to let go of some of the things that we've become accustomed to. Yeah. 
You know, I'm, and actually I need to answer this question that came up in your coffee talk, but maybe getting too dated now, but I said, okay. yeah, I'll take the one. How are, how are the Buddhists taking, taking this? We meditate on attachment. We think about attachment. And then when you suddenly realize that in many ways, your whole world is collapsing around you. Well, we see how deep that attachment is. You know, it's profoundly deep. And so the practice of letting go is important. And we've all been going through our grieving at different times in different ways. It's not something we indulge, but it is definitely something that each one of us is experiencing in different ways. And for different reasons, we get hit by different things. You know, one of our nuns was a nurse for 35 years. You know, she wants to, her role is to be out helping. You know, several of us have been in helping professions. We want to be out helping and there's no help. I mean, we can't. It's, it's not even possible. But so not only coming to grips with what is happening in the real world, but also recognizing our own limitation. That's also part of the process of letting go. So all of that attachment, and if people haven't thought about the fact that clinging to these things actually is a source of suffering, then losing them will be a greater source of suffering. If we have even had the notion <laughs> that the suffering comes from our own clinging, then I think we have more capacity to see what comes up, what arises in the mind, what arises in the heart, and the wanting to hang on, and knowing through familiarity with the idea that things are changing moment by moment by moment. Anyway, there's nothing to hang on to. It's helpful, but it doesn't mean there's not grief. You know, doesn't mean there isn't resistance sometimes, like, you know, but I would say for me personally, and I think this is probably universal. There's a, there is a way of looking at the situation that says, this is exactly what the Buddha described is this is how the world is. It's constantly changing. We don't have control. Even things that generally bring happiness, ultimately, I mean, sometimes they, they are the source of suffering themselves. So hanging onto them is pointless. And the interdependence of all beings, all phenomena, the inherent kindness in each person and how important it is to reach out and cultivate our compassion, how much stronger that is than hoarding. <laughs> all of those teachings are so present in this situation that I, I feel like for Buddhists, it's really a rich, rich time to practice. And it helps soothe the situation or helps use the situation to deepen our spiritual work. I mean, that's really the kind of Buddhist approach bring everything into the path. And that's what we're trying to continue remind, continually remind people yeah. as we do the outreach online. Well, I mean, and if you're getting 800 people uh, at your Dharma days, it sounds like uh, the reaction is being well-received. Yeah. Well, the audience is big. The need is great. You know, there's, and there's also Buddhism in, in English is not still that widespread. It's, it's Tibetan Buddhism anyway. I mean, lots of centers still, still do things in Tibetan and, so forth. So that's for English speaking European friends. That's where a lot of those people are from. Okay. So um, any, any words of comfort for some of those who are, who are really struggling right now? Yeah, I am really seeing how important it is to focus on how much kindness is being exhibited in the world. Even, even in the face of people's, I see that people's unemployment isn't coming through in time. I see that these checks are not appearing somewhere. I see that, look at that check. I just saw an image of that check with the signature on it. And I was stunned. <laughs> it's like, 
Okay, so some people may be really grateful when they see that and some people may be really angry when they see that. We have different reactions to a piece of paper and some ink, right? So on one level, there's that. How we respond is totally dependent on our own mind. But regardless of that, there is so much kindness in this world, even right now. And it's not just the doctors. It's not just the nurses who are literally giving their lives. And when I say just, I'm not diminishing them. I'm just saying that there are a lot of people who are literally giving their lives. And neighbors are reaching out to neighbors and people are calling their friends and people are calling old people they don't even know because they know they can't get out of the nursing home room these days. So dwelling on that reality of the kind heart of living, of human beings and our capacity to do it and our kind of innate response to do it is a much better place to put our attention than on what is not happening. Because we really are on, all in this together. I mean, the class issues are showing up, of course. The racial disparity, the inequities in all the different ways are showing up, of course. And that's not to deny them. Still, the measure of our survival is the measure of our kindness and cooperation with each other. So that's, that's where we would tell people to really put your attention there and become a part of that. When we know that we're reaching out, even the smallest way, you know, call your neighbor, then we're part of that interdependence that's making this kindness net that will get us through. However, whatever through means, whatever the outcome means, unknown, unknown, unknown. Yeah, focusing on the positive, something positive rather than all the negativity that seems to be flooding in. Yeah, 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 definitely. But really seeing the kindness, not just positive, really observing kindness, one individual at a time. Well, you guys are doing so much um, to help your community. Is there anything that you guys need? What can people do for you? Well, that's a sweet question. We've actually been getting a lot of support. And um, truthfully, even one of our, our events at the end of the year is what we call the Katina, which is a ancient celebration of restoring the monastic storehouse at the end of the long retreat when we have been, you know, not having many people come. And we really invited people, if they wanted to give to the Abbey this year, give to the food bank instead. We're in good shape in that way. So, yeah, that's, that's point number one. But number two, I really appreciate what Spokane Faves is doing. I know I, I, I love what you're doing anyway. Thank you. Um, and I, I so treasure this inter, interfaith interconnection. And even though I'm not, it's a long way for, to drive. I can't be there physically hardly ever but to hear how different faith communities are, are working together, how they're thinking, even people who think very differently from I do, from, from the way I think, it helps me to hear that they're coming from an ethical place, from a place of heart and a place of faith with just a different point of view. So I would say keep doing what you're doing and that's, um, that's helpful. Ooh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, well, I'm glad you are because it helps. <laughs> And for people to uh, stay up to date on what's coming down the pipeline from you guys is just go to their home, your homepage. Is that what? Yeah, there's two ways they can go. Shravastiabbey.org. The events calendar is right there and we're still updating. That's part of what's taking us so busy, you know, is like, oh, updating and how are we going to do this one? How are we going to do this one? How are we going to do this one? So you have to stay tuned. We have a COVID-19 page that has all the videos of um, the teachings that people may find interesting. And also to point out that our 
orientation towards sharing the Buddhist teachings is really pretty ecumenical in a way. You know, our, our wish is not to convert a bunch of people into Buddhism, but to help let those teachings be helpful to anybody. So lots of our, our um, the people who tune in are not Buddhist. Um, I should say though, one little, one more thing is we have been teaching at the Spokane UU Unitarian Universalist Church for 12 years, a meditation class. Mm-hmm. And we just did that one starting Zoom on Monday. And that was really sweet. That's good. I hear a lot of people talking about that and wondering if you were going to continue. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I, we are too. We love, we love that class. And uh, so we're, it's exciting for us to be able to keep doing it too. So the other thing is to just go to the YouTube channel and browse. So there's a Shravasti Abbey YouTube channel. That was Venerable Chenny from Sarvasti Abbey, a Tibetan Buddhist monastery just outside of Spokane. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Faves Forward. You can find this podcast on our website, spokanefaves.com, or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And while I have your attention, listeners, we'd like to hear your stories. What does COVID-19 mean in your life? You can email your 500-word submission to tracysimmons at spokanefaves.com. See you next week.